Mark Graver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. The goal of this series is to provide our listeners with two to three pragmatic pieces of advice in each episode that they can immediately go out and employ in their companies. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Parker Avery Group, we invite you to visit www.parkeravery.com. This is Trisha Gustin. I am the Director of Marketing for the Parker Avery Group. And in this week's episode, we take a deep dive into strategic sourcing decisions for retailers and consumer brands. I have with me Robert Kaufman, Parker Avery CEO and Senior Manager Rob Oglesby, our resident inventory and supply chain expert. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me today. Um, so let's get just jump right in. Uh, with so many recent global and domestic disruptions, it seems that what some are calling the new normal is still a long way off if we ever get to a normal state. So how do retailers and consumer brands need to think and change how they manage their sourcing strategies amid so many unknowns? I'll take the first question. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that has to happen here is flexibility. You know, in the past, everything has been about how do you get the lowest absolute cost for the product? Um, and that didn't necessarily mean timelines were as important as they were, you know, or as they need to be now. Timeline has become extremely important because that lack of nimbleness and that lack of the ability to, to shift on a, at a moment's notice almost with regards to what's going on in a marketplace has now been exposed more than ever. And as a result, uh, you know, these brands are needing to start looking at a lot more factors you know, with their sourcing strategies today than they you know, perhaps were comfortable with over the last several years. Yeah, I, I agree, Rob. You know, a lot, a lot has obviously happened. And as we found out during the pandemic, and maybe you're still finding out, companies didn't even know where their products were. As, as uh, common and, and as obvious as that may seem, because of the complexities of the supply chain and the lack of true visibility, they might know who they're paying, you know, what they might call their supplier. But beyond that, there were a lot of things that were going on in terms of raw material suppliers contracting beyond or behind those main suppliers that uh, retailers and, and brands really didn't understand. And beginning to better understand that is, is going to be critical. It ties into uh, visibility, but it's, it's really not just the visibility that if you were to have asked the question a year ago was from, you know, vendor to, uh, your, you know, your company's distribution center, but the entirety of everyone that's involved in the making of that product. And to your point about flexibility until now, over the last 10 to 15 years, companies worked really, really hard to eliminate waste and redundancy. And there really weren't buffer inventories, if you want to think of it that way. So when this happened, 
there was really no option to be able to go to a different source of supply when your main link was down. Now I think companies are going to have to start thinking differently about the criticality of certain uh, finished goods, components, or even raw materials to avert things like this from happening, or not averting them, but being more prepared if and when something like this were to happen again. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's a big complex mess, um, <laughs> and uh, you know this really exposed it is really what it boils down to. Yeah. So speaking of that exposure, there's a fair amount of unease. Um, especially on the consumer side, about where products are made, where things are sourced from, especially if they're coming from overseas, and especially from countries that may not be as America-friendly. Um, and so there's an increasing desire for things that are made in the USA and even locally. So how do they, how do consumer brands or retailers handle this, realizing that cost, price points, visibility may not be as competitive with foreign counterparts? Yeah, um, there's definitely going to be a push for nearshoring product um, manufacturing or sourcing. All of the factors you just said are, are going to drive that. But while cost is obviously an important consideration, um, the reliability of the supply chain is going to become a heck of a lot more important than even cost. And, and so when you think about what's going on in a geopolitical sense, we've got, you know, political disruptions that are happening around the world that can and, and will cause disruptions. Companies who will bring their product onshore or nearshore need to keep in mind that those things can and will have, have an effect. If it's within the United States, it's obviously a little bit different, but outside, even if it's closer to the United States, those things are still going to be uh, important. And you know, I mentioned that the supply chain visibility and and traceability. Um, there's you know, just to bring a real life example right now with the the Uyghurs in China that are being imprisoned by by the Chinese to produce cotton and cotton products. Um, in a lot of the fashion supply chain today, there is an enormous outcry that's beginning and is going to really get to a fever pitch. And companies are going to need to really understand what and where their products are being uh, sourced from, from all the way from the raw material. So, you know, you, you factor all those things in. And lastly, just proximity to where the end consumer is. So we talk about cost. Is the labor cost more in the United States than it is around the world? Assuredly it is. But because companies are becoming much more concerned about building inventory in advance, which was maybe not totally uh, the approach they would take, but they would assume that their upstream customer was going to buy in a certain set of quantity. Well, now their customers aren't asking for as many and they're asking their suppliers, the brands sometimes if they're dealing with a retailer to be very nimble and replenish very quickly, passing the buck, if you will. Well, by being nearshore or in the United States, the ability to respond becomes viable and possible. Whereas 
if you have an extended supply chain overseas, you're adding, besides travel and, and, and transit, you're adding 30 to 40 days in a lot of instances. So having more control over your supply chain is going to bring that reliability, likely reduce the, the lead times, and well, albeit maybe cost a little bit more, in the end, probably provide more value and, and assurance to their customers. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Robert. I mean, you hit on so many, so many uh, valid points there. Um, again, the nimbleness in, in particular. So, if we're nearshoring, you can make decisions much later. Um, and the closer you are to when your actual demand is going to be, the the more intelligent that decision is. Um, so, therefore, you're able to you know to make better buys, potentially buy less or more if you really need more of a particular product, and to keep your margin as opposed to, you know, having to put a bet on something that's nine months out in the future where that's been the traditional or the last, you know, 15 to 20 years has been that kind of a lead time on product and making decisions that far out, you just don't know what's going on. So your sources could end up drying up on your or going into a situation where they can't produce, um, which causes major issues. Yeah, so and having it, whether it's the made in USA is, you know, that that's certainly has a cachet to it. That's that's, uh, and, you know, again, in the geopolitical situation that we're in right now is uh, has some benefits to it. But in my mind, you know, kind of going back to a lot of Robert's points, a lot of that is it's beyond just that. Right. It's just a smarter way to do things. So if we can near shore things or the closer we can get our supply chain you know, tightened in. I mean, think about what Dell did many, many years ago. I mean, they put their factories right across the street and they almost had conveyor belts going into when they were assembling computers. I mean, it was literally, you placed an order for a computer that triggered an order for, for a chip to be made. Um, so, you know, are we going to get to that? No, not, not quite. But, um, a lot of the costs that, you know, and what you look at it from a cost perspective needs to be reevaluated. So before it was the lowest cost in the product, transportation be damned all that other stuff that stuff's got to go in the in the by the wayside i think another thing too to think about i mean brands are global right they're not just u.s brands i mean yeah a lot of them may have their headquarters here uh locally but you know we work with clients that have you know that have stores or, or some sort of an operation with their brand in uh, clear, nearly 100 countries worldwide and all of those you know, deserve the same kind of, of, of proximity, if you will. So that goes back to also with Robert's comment about, you know, multi-sourcing, because if you've got all your eggs in a single basket and that particular situation goes belly up or, or goes into an area where they can't produce or stuff, you know, their factories have to get shut down or whatever it may be. I mean, look at what's going on in India right now. I mean, they're quickly overtaking or trying to overtake the United States with regards to the case quantities. And so forth. I mean, they're in a world of hurt. Well, guess what? That's a that's becoming a big production uh, for fashion. You know, it's, it, as things move out of China, India is now becoming an area. Well, you know, we might have the same types types of issues um, trying to get product out of there. But you know, getting that product closer to is is a, is a big deal. And then you know, kind of the final uh, the final comment. You know, going back to what Robert's saying, I'll, I'll add on to it as well. Is that you know the concept of blockchain or or being able to know where stuff came from, um, because there's that social responsibility that also adds into this. And you know, we're not we haven't really. That, I mean, we kind of alluded to it to a certain extent, but people are demanding that. Um, you know, they they do not want to be wearing a, a garment that came from a sweatshop that they that or 
out of a dangerous situation where, you know, somebody could have, you know, every time they walk into work, they're, you know, they're putting their lives at risk because, you know, they're, they're in a building that's getting ready to burn down and so forth. And, and that's also stuff we've seen with our clients and just, you know, it's, it's a horrific situation. So I, I think that, you know, that all the transparency, but, you know, there's a lot of benefit to be had where if we're able to, or if our, you know, our clients are able to basically get closer to where their markets are and be able to turn much faster on their entire product life cycle. Um, and, and I think that's where the winners are going to come is the, with the ability to do that. So, you know, we talked about that transparency and, and obviously that's still a very key factor. How, so if that's a big push, how, from an organization perspective, how, how do supply chain organizations need to change? Sorry, I'm throwing a monkey wrench into here because this is not one of the questions I outlined, but I think it's okay. I'm just curious because this is a big, a big change for that organization. You know, in my mind, uh, a, a lot of a lot of our clients do have sourcing offices, um, and it's the it's the uh, you know so number one, it's the sourcing offices having a lot more play and say in what's going on and visiting not just the factories that are making things, but really kind of understanding the raw material piece of it, and actually, you know, even getting involved in, in taking positions in raw materials because if you do that, then you have to go into those, you know, you have to go deeper into the supply chain. The other, the other thing that, that I've seen as well is there are compliance organizations out there that can be partnered with. Um, so there are, there are organizations that go out and do these kinds of audits. And so leveraging that because those, those get leveraged across you know, any and every client that's using that, that it's kind of a single source of the truth, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I, think I can see more of that kind of coming online and people demanding that we're going to have these kinds of audits. But yeah, it does. It does pressure, you know, the sourcing organization, and, and it really almost makes, um, you know, again, where you've got if you're close to a market, you're going to need to have, you know, uh, some sourcing resources in there. So it'll sort of spread them out. Whereas a lot of, a lot of our clients, you know, they had a single sourcing office, more than likely loca- located somewhere in China, Hong Kong, close to that general area of production, and, and that might not be enough anymore. You know, you've touched on a few really interesting points about, you know, social responsibility and with what's going on in the United States right now um, with a lot of protests and such. And even before the the pandemic, there was a real push on sustainability and understanding where products, not just where they're made, but where they're going to go afterwards, you know, a, a full life cycle for those products. What it, what it really is going to boil down to, and we're not quite there yet, but I would say within the next 18 to 24 months, it's going to be table stakes. You're going to be able to walk down an aisle of a store once we get to go to stores again on an <laughs> unrestricted basis, and you're going to be able to take your phone and scan the UPC or a QR code, and you're going to be able to see everywhere that product's uh, manufacture and raw materials were sourced from all the way back to wherever that is. Um, and so it's, it's imperative companies are going to, you know, besides the social responsibility and the audits, which have been around now for 10, 15 years. And, and there are flare ups of where those, those problems still occur. We're, we're going to go well beyond that. You're going to have that ability to see where that product has been all the way through and, and consumers are going to make decisions based on that. And 
you know, if it's made in the United States and it costs 20% more, but they see that supply chain and they know it's a verified traceability, that's going to mean something too. So companies, you know, how are they going to change? They're going to, I don't say that all of them are paying lip service to what Rob alluded to with social responsibility, but it's going to be a mandate now. It's going to be a requirement for doing business because it's going to be fully exposed. Now, one of the things that I think companies can also do in support of that, and it's more of a technology play, is um, with artificial intelligence and what has been called you know, supply chain digital twins, where you can simulate through um, just that, through a technology, how that product is going to go from source, even pre-finished good, all the way through to the completion of the product and the delivery to, to a brand's uh, distribution center or stores. And what's really cool about those capabilities, besides the initial simulation, is there are examples today where through Internet of Things connectivity, where as things happen, the digital twin, if you will, can understand and receive that information and then reroute the product accordingly based on alternatives that it has already played out in various simulations. So, you know, that sounds really blue sky and such, and, and not everybody's doing this yet. But again, artificial intelligence, machine learning, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite everywhere in everyone's solutions, but the leaders are going to have that and applying it to the supply chain to be able to solve some of those questions of how do I get my product to to me if and when there are problems is also going to become um, a real a real requirement to just be viable in, in the near future. Yeah, I mean it's almost like you go back to your original comment about the visibility. I mean that that's visibility on steroids is really what it boils down to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I can just imagine you've got a, a, a a shipment in route and um, you want to reroute that, you know, it's got an address on it, but the reality is, is that if you can send a signal down to change the destination of that QR, or that barcode or the, or the RFID or whatever the, you know, the tagging process uh, would be uh, the next time it's seen at, at its next destination. And next thing you know, you're on a reroute without even really having to, to do that. That is, that is flexibility um, beyond, beyond measure. And um, you know, I, I, I can envision that coming, in, in the in the hopefully not too distant future, but that's some some neat technology for sure. Well, that was yeah. going to be my follow up question. So you said not too distant future. Is that two years out? Is that five years out? And 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 related to that, is anyone who are the forefront? Who's on the forefront of that? Well, I've been in conversation with some uh, supply chain companies that we work with that are really pushing that and they have some technology that maybe not quite as uh, extensive as I described, but they are building this concept of a digital twin and not necessarily tied to uh, machinery and internet of things, but to be able to do those simulations. So there are, there are companies in our industries in which we operate that that have that from a capability standpoint. From a adoption of our clients, yes, there's not been a whole lot of that. Um, 
Ralph Lauren, and it's not quite the same, but um, Polo Ralph Lauren now, you can scan a QR code and determine a couple of things on their product. Is it a valid Ralph Lauren product or is it a gray market product? And the way you can tell is because it, if you scan it, it will go all the way back to the, the farm in which the cotton, if it's a cotton product, was sourced from. So you see all that visibility and they've now made that for you know branding reasons and to to eliminate some of the counterfeiting that goes on um, they've started to do those kinds of things wow. so you know companies that maybe you don't think of as progressive but from a brand protection standpoint are, are doing those kinds of things so to answer your question more directly some companies are there but it's going to take I'd say you know the next 18 to 24 months for for brands to really, um, the, the ones that are going to survive and thrive to really adopt those types of capabilities. Yeah, and I think uh, to add on to that, it, it, a lot of this has to do with, it's not necessarily that the technology or a lot of the components of the technology aren't there right now. It's a matter of how they've been assembled, how they've been brought together to actually interact with each other. Um, you know, and, and again, going back to the, they're, they're that redirect. I mean, at some point in time, obviously, items as they come out of a factory or whatever, going you know to wherever they were intended to go. You write a PO, you know, the typical rigidity of a purchase order day is, you know, I send a PO to the, to the factory. They create five thousand units of whatever it may be. Its destination is a distribution center, and boom, it's set in stone. You know, what Robert just alluded to a few minutes ago is no, it's not set in stone. I mean, I can make a change to that at any given point in time. It's just a matter of how do you take control. You know, there's an operational component to this, but then you also have to have the signals that say, "Wait a minute, I don't need it here. I need it there." And I and it, you know, and you get critical checkpoints along the way that say that. So, uh, I think there's again, there's the technology components are there. It's just a matter of how are, how are they getting assembled correctly so that we can start to leverage this. But I, I think that's going to be uh, extremely important, um, especially as you know, you're just not sure what's going to happen with demand because, uh, you know, I, I feel like we're things are starting to look better, but we don't know what's going to happen. Relapses over the winter. Um, you know, Europe's already had their there's all that stuff is still a huge unknown. And, and let's face it. I mean, it took, what, two years to get through the Spanish flu. Hopefully with our technology, we can get through it faster. But <laughs> it's still it's still up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, again, talking to actually just yesterday with the president of a supply chain software company, and we both came to the same realization. You know, in the past, companies, and this may sound a bit salesy, but it's not meant to be, you know, software salespeople are trying to sell software, right? Um, It's at a point now where there's capabilities that, you know, when we say table stakes, I mean, think about the companies that have gone bankrupt over the last six months. These companies truly may perish if they don't take bold, transformative action. And, you know, that, that's what we're seeing the leaders do is even if they're um, you know, going through some struggles now, they understand that maybe it's a leapfrog that buys them three years of leadership or, or it's a leapfrog just to get to what I'm calling table stakes. They have to do it. The, the, the concept of incremental change, while it might help in, in a non-pandemic world and get you a little bit better, 
there's just not enough time nor patience in the market right now for that. You've got to you've got to be bold and take on these these new capabilities and, and the technologies that are there. Or unfortunately, many of these companies just aren't going to be there because the leaders are going to take those bold moves. For sure. Yeah, in an industry where traditionally, in you know pre-COVID, retailers were generally pretty hesitant to adopt these new technologies. Now it's it's they can't be like that anymore. They've got to move forward. And they've got to move fast. And it's almost yeah. like all these you know Clay Parnell always talks about being scrappy. You've got to be scrappy in a big way now to some extent because you're yeah. they just won't be viable. Well, excellent. Gentlemen, I know we're towards the end of our time here and I appreciate it. Any any words of advice to those listening that, you know, what's the first step they sh- they should take in in taking those bold steps? Well, I think it's really looking at it hold it looking at their supply chains holistically. I mean, I alluded to it a moment ago. Um, incremental change isn't really what's going to move the needle for them. They can deploy incrementally, meaning let's build the holistic transformative capability set and we might deploy it in a pilot and then roll it out. But just taking piece by piece isn't going to work. So coming up with what that, I mean, not to be trite about it, but that supply chain strategy, what is that future capability set and, and how do they want to operate? Do they want to be uh, uh, you know, an onshore capability for uh, production? Um, or as Rob mentioned, you know, for global brands, at least have the option of having source of supply in North America. Um, you know, making those, those key decisions and building that strategy is, is the first step. And then you know, not putting that into a drawer and then saying, hey, that's our three-year strategy here. We feel really good about ourselves. But <laughs> You know, take action and now <laughs> deploy deploy against that strategy. And um, again, those may just seem obvious, but there's there's just not time to you know to think about things too much. Uh, you've got to move because there's so much going on right now. That was the other thing this gentleman mentioned to me. He said, you know, I've it's been kind of quiet for the last three four months, but he said now all of a sudden. Companies are coming to us and asking not to just put in, you know, this module or that module, but they want to take transformative, massive leaps of capability. And I think that's indicative of the leaders of, of our industry. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the other thing, you know, obviously we're talking about supply chain right now. This impacts the entire organization. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you think about the merchandising side. You know, the merchants have been drilled in, whether it's IMU, whether it's, you know, their entire metric set and how, how they're incentivized and so forth has to come along for the ride. Because, again, if we nearshore stuff and all of a sudden your first cost goes up, if they push back, then you're, you don't have that synchronicity, right? So you need to be, you need to think about, you know, we need to look at, you know, what's the final margin we're going to get on products. And, and so some of the KPIs that are involved. Um, across the entire organization are also things that have to be considered here. So to be more nimble is there's a huge value there, but will it look as good, you know, in terms of what your initial margin looks like, but your retained margin, you know, if if you think about it from that perspective, what's the overall profitability because I sold through more of my product 
because my supply chain was more nimble, mm-hmm. that becomes a, a you know that becomes the, the real win for the organization overall. And that's how I think you you really kind of bring everybody on board so that people understand. Big picture here is yeah, you, what you're used to seeing is was successful before. You need to redefine what that looks like, um, and, and that's how the organization overall is going to survive. Versus to Robert's point, they're dead. You know, if they can't make these changes and everybody can't get on board with it. Uh, it's 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 not going to be a good situation for a lot of these uh, the, a lot of these companies. So, it's massive transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, gentlemen, appreciate your time today. You guys have a good weekend. Well, thank you. All well, right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thanks. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out please feel free to visit our website at www.parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group. Thank you.